I am Gina Gamboni, and I'm here with Peter Bogosian and Matt Thornton. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Uh, we are here together to talk about all things reconsidered, to have a reflection on the show. We've released the five episodes that we created. Uh, that included 10 conversations about NPR stories, 18 testimonials, uh, five reflections from me about my experience working at NPR affiliate stations, and we have received a lot of feedback. So we decided to get together and talk about it. Uh, we've had thousands of comments on YouTube. Through social media, thousands through email. and thousands emails. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so we wanted we we wanted to take a look at some of the not every comment, obviously, but on some of the comments that were common, and uh, we want to look at the critiques that we've received, common critiques, as well as the frequent praises that we've received. So, are you guys ready for this? Let's ready. do it. Let's do it. Okay, because I have I have them. I have uh, actually a sheet here that where I, I I took a couple of comments as examples of of things that were commonly repeated. We're going to do the hard stuff first, critique first. Okay. So, are you ready? Ready. The ready. most frequent negative comments we received was that both of you, Peter and Matt, referred to Rachel Levine as she. For example, here's a here's an example of one of those comments. Quote, by calling Rachel she, you have endorsed his ideology. Appreciate your program, but you give credence to this social sickness. So what do you guys think about that? You want to go first? Sure. I have no problem calling Rachel Levine she. I, want to, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm going to do the same thing here on air that I would do in person. And if I met her and she referred to herself that way. I have no problem referring to her that way. I think it's just polite. I would like I would like to live in a world where I would think that most people that's the way they would react. A, a polite world where we try and treat each other with uh, with kindness. That's very different from a situation where there's compelled speech. If somebody said you must use this under some sort of penalty, then obviously I would completely stand completely against it. Which of course is what happened with. Jordan Peterson, and he always said the same thing. He'd have no problem calling a student or anyone else referring to them however they wanted to be referred to. The real question was about compelled speech. And that's how I feel privately about it. That's how I feel publicly about it. I don't feel like by using a term that they prefer, I'm endorsing some kind of ideology. I think that's a bit silly. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree 100%. If somebody wants to be referred to by certain pronouns, that's I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting the in terms of the number of comments. I think that one of the reasons I think you two are open-minded about it and I'm also open-minded about this. I actually I have a friend who is a trans woman and I refer to that friend as she. And it, it, even though I disagree with the ideology that is for instance, um you know, promoting puberty blockers for young people or even promoting um, social transition for young people. I disagree with that ideology, but it doesn't mean that you can't respect people who are adults, et cetera. But I think some of the people who make these remarks don't have a friend or don't yeah. know people. You guys are in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. you know, strangely enough, I grew up in California in the 70s. And even then in the 70s, just by sheer happenstance, I happened to have a friend that was uh, transgendered. So I've known since I was a little kid that transgender people exist. I also think it's important 
for us to remember that it's not some monolithic block. There's going to be plenty of transgender people who don't think that you should be giving puberty blockers and surgery to minors as well. That's right. And uh, it's easy to forget that when we get caught up in these debates sometimes, but that's a community that's going to have a diverse uh, variety of opinions, just like every other community. Yeah, and I, I think that we, you know, we can fall into the dehumanizing thing where it's like, oh, all these transgender people, yeah. and you know, making these kind of statements. Oh, so yeah, that was frequent though. That was a frequent critique on the Rachel Levine story. Um, okay, let's look at another critique. Why did we go after NPR and not say Fox News or other news agencies? I know why I went after NPR. Uh, That's easy for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, okay, Gina, you you say, why did you go after it? Then I'll go next. I I went after NPR and I felt that it was um, important to go after NPR because I knew NPR so well um, from working in NPR affiliate stations and working directly with NPR. So it's something that I knew. I also knew that it's, it's kind of a club. Um, it's it's kind of a you know NPR listeners. It's 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 also something that we've held in such high esteem, and I don't feel yeah. that way. When I say we, I mean people like me in a way. I guess people like me have loved NPR so much for so long, um, and so it, it the fact that it's gone off the rails it seems like an important thing to note. It's something mm-hmm. that we trusted, mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that the a lot of the positive comments we received really reflected that like, yes, this is something we need to talk about. It's not the same. It's not the same kind of cultural position. uh, NPR, our NPR has a different cultural position than Fox news does. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's why, that's why I felt it was important. So I feel it's important for a number of reasons. On a personal level, I miss listening to NPR. Mm-hmm. I used to enjoy listening to NPR. I would get in the car and I would always turn on NPR. And I don't do that anymore. Well, I did for, for a long time for the show. But I don't, I don't do that anymore. And I miss that. And I, I yeah. want to, I want to, I'd love to have that back again. The other reason is that I thought it was so important is the pretense of objectivity. Yeah. Is the idea that they're coming at something um, again? It's just the pretense of objectivity. Uh, the 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 other reason is it's really a source of cultural pollution. NPR has become a cesspool. People get into their an ideological cesspool. They get in their car and they just take in this garbage, this poison, and they just assume that the things that they're hearing about the stories that it's a news source that can be relied upon to give them factual information. But it is not a news source that can be relied upon to give them factual information. And so it's really one of the main, uh, my own opinion, and I I don't know if Matt agrees or not, it's the main source of cultural pollution. And part of that is, again, the pretense of objectivity. And you have a lot of uh, people who tend to be well-intentioned, intelligent people with high voting rates who listen to NPR, who think that they're more informed. As a consequence, they're actually becoming misinformed. Does that exist in other media? There's no question about it. Does that exist in certain segments of Fox, like Laura Ingram or what have you? There's, there's simply no question about it. But NPR is a particular kind of, uh, a particular kind of nasty. 
Yeah. Um, in my case, it's exactly what Peter said when he talked about the pretense of objectivity. If someone turns on Fox News and they watch Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson, they know what they're getting. They're going to get that particular broadcaster's opinion about politics. If I turn on MSNBC, I know what I'm getting if I'm watching Rachel Maddow. People talk a lot about misinformation and disinformation these days. If I turn on Rachel Maddow and she's doing a, a series on police shootings, I know she's going to be producing misinformation. I'm not going to feel misled. I know that her information on that topic is going to be wrong and slanted the wrong way. If I turned on Sean Hannity because I was looking for information on some investigation into Donald Trump, I, I don't expect to get objective information from Sean Hannity. But between MSNBC and Fox News, if we were going to do this show about cable, I would be more interested in going after CNN because CNN does have that pretense of objectivity. And for a while, they held that place, which makes them, in my opinion, far more dangerous. Same thing if we're talking about newspapers. Uh, if we're going to go after any newspapers or talk about that, the first one I want to talk about is the New York Times, because if the New York Times runs a story, there's still a, a big segment of our population that views them as the gold standard. And yeah. so it's far more important that they remain objective and they be held to criticism than sources where I already know there's a political bias. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's the thing. I think NPR was considered a gold standard, even not by everyone, but by a certain segment of people, mostly people who were liberal leaning. Yes. Um, the, the thing about NPR is that it's also unique. The programming was unique, which is why there, there's nothing else like NPR. There's no, you know, in terms of the kind of programming, the stories, the the long form audio stories and there's nothing else comparable. So I, I don't, I, I don't feel like we need to justify going after NPR since, since it has changed. The fact that it has changed is something we're going to return to in a minute. By and, the way. and rest assured, we will be going after other uh, institutions. Yes. Now we did receive another serious critique accusing us of editing out a section of a story in order to make NPR look bad. Uh, this was from uh, regarding the trans dinosaur emoji story. Fake Chuck. Fake Chuck. Uh, we're not going to go into how badly that accusation backfired uh, because people just have to watch the video, the, uh, the update video to the trans dinosaur emoji story. But uh, I have to bring up that critique because it was serious. It was a, and it, well, you, it, and you, it, it got you my attention. That. You yeah. addressed that. I did that. indeed. I right. did and it, indeed. And it really was a uh, it really was a bad bit of propaganda, but it happened to be done by NPR. Correct. <laughs> I know that that was kind of a beautiful ballet of uh, correct of, <laughs> of backfire. Okay, now finally, in in terms of the critique part, hmm. some fans of the show really hate the kazoo, uh, which. I'd like to use the kazoo as a bridge between the critique and the praise because some fans really love the kazoo. So uh, what do you think about I, – I, I think it has to do with – in terms of how people feel about the use of the kazoo, I think it has to do with uh, kind of people's – first of all, familiarity with NPR. Mm -hmm. I think if you're more – the more familiar you are with NPR, the more likely you are to like the kazoo. And I, and I think that if you have a certain kind of sense of humor, you're more likely to appreciate the kazoo. So I'll, I'll, I'll take responsibility yeah. for that. I was the one who wanted the kazoo. In fact, you'll appreciate this. I went out with uh, 
to dinner two nights ago uh, with two of my jujitsu coaches, John Diggins and Rick, and I asked them what they thought about the show, and the conversation immediately went into the kazoo. <laughs> Did they like it or not like it? Uh, uh, John, John didn't like it and Rick liked it. Hmm. Uh, but it's it's interesting how by far the most the overwhelming majority of criticism of, of the criticism was about the kazoo, not about the analysis. In fact, I didn't see literally anything from all the emails I received, and they were numerous, to the YouTube comments, to the Twitter, to everything. I didn't see anything about the fact that our analysis was mistaken. Right. Like, I didn't even see a single comment about that. Right. I didn't see a single comment about the testimonials. I didn't see a single comment about Gina's uh, a bit. And so there was a kind of... Um, singular focus with the kazoo and i found it to be a very unusual criticism for a show that it was just happened to be an incidental thing that we put in there yeah yeah i i, I think so too i think that um and I, and I think people just saw it in, in different ways matt mm -hmm. what did you think about the kazoo well, I think the first time you mentioned that, I immediately went, yeah, that sounds like a great idea because, you know, it's a, it's a parody, obviously, of what we hear on NPR all the time. And that's, uh, I, th I thought it was fitting. You know, something, we never gave credit to the kazoo player. I think I should oh, do that right let's now. let's do that yeah, right for now. sure. All right, the kazoo player is Oscar, my son. Oh, oh nice job. Yeah, he's a, great, he's a great musician anyway. Did I well. didn't realize how good he was on the kazoo, but he did a good job. Now... Um, I want to move on to praise, to the praise that we've received. Uh, and I was surprised how much of it there was and yeah. how effusive it was. I was not expecting anywhere near the amount of praise. We did receive a lot of praise, and I really like the type of praise that we received. Um, so the, the most common praise that we received has been some variation of this. I'm going to read a comment. This is from YouTube. This show is much needed like a breath of fresh air. I've been saying for years that NPR is com completely insufferable now. I used to listen to Diane Reem and other popular NPR shows literally every day on my way to and from college. Used to look forward to it. So happy to hear people talking about this on a public forum. Thank you. And then let me read one other one that's also a common refrain is something like this. I had to take the sticker off my car two years ago, the NPR sticker, bumper stickers. Um, it was sad. It was like losing a close friend to yeah. a whack religious cult. It's apt. I, I, I just, I, I, that people recognizing, I mean, that, and that's the thing I think some people who have never been NPR listeners don't understand is that Correct. it's like you were part of something. I know. It's like they spoke directly to you and you develop relationships. That's how I, I felt. Um, and that's why the sting, the dis the disappointment about, about it was so terrible. So, you know, recently, I think yesterday, NPR came out with a tweet about Trump running for president. And uh, it just it just reminded me that, I, you know, it was Pollyanna for, for me to think, oh, the show will do something. You know, people at NPR will listen to it and they'll be like, wow, man, maybe we really don't, have gone down the rabbit hole of craziness or maybe we should try to retether ourselves back to some kind of, integrity or be less ideological become less ideological but that hasn't happened at all and so i don't know i it's a it hasn't little... happened yet it hasn't happened yet things take time i think that um starting the conversation as we have 
is important is very important. But NPR has has recognized that it was, uh, you know, in a bubble before. It has recognized that before. I know this. Um, it's talked about it before. I just, I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to throw water on the fire or anything, but I, I just can't fathom it changing at this point. In fact, if anything, it seems to just keep digging deeper, deeper into madness. People will not continue to accept it. I believe that 100%. But that doesn't mean that, the, even if that's true, that doesn't mean that the reporting will change. We'll see. Yeah, we will, we'll right? See. We'll, we'll see what we, happens. We will see, yeah. We'll see. It may, it, but, but I think it will become, um, it will shrink in significance. Well, let's if hope. If it continues. Well, let's hope. The way it is. But, but, but this is the thing, you know, you, those of us, Matt, Peter, me, we've been talking about some of this stuff for a while um, in terms of the ideological capture of NPR and other uh, significant, you know, Cultural institutions, institutions. legacy, legacy institutions, legacy institutions. Other people are literally just waking up to this every day. New people are realizing what's going on. So, so if they change, that's wonderful. I'll tune in again. Maybe I'll even donate money again. Uh, And if, and if they don't change, then hopefully they'll lose all their legitimacy and almost nobody. And then no one will listen. If they don't change over the long run, I think they'll become increasingly irrelevant. Yeah, yes. totally. And that's the only and, and choice. Fewer they have. and fewer people will trust the, their journalism. Exactly, and that's why I think it was really important for us. And people, people said yes, this was important. That's what I love about some of these comments, where it's like, yeah, I really needed to know that other people are seeing the same thing I'm seeing because they're. It's a, again just like the emperor's new clothes, right? Where people are like, mm, you know, I'm not really liking NPR anymore, but right. I really am not going to say that in my in my group of peers who all loves NPR. It, you know, let me just say, as I made clear, my hope is that public radio stations stay strong and drop NPR entirely. That's oh, that would hope. be the ideal. Yeah. yeah, that would be the ideal. And I, I do think that's a really good point. My experience has been that people tend to really appreciate when someone else says out loud what they're thinking privately. Totally. But they're afraid to say. Totally. And I think yes. just doing that about any given topic is important. It helps open up the conversation, like you said, which is good for everybody. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, so, it's so powerful in so many ways for people to, to, not, um, to not feel like they can't say what you know, what's right in front of their face, what's right. obvious about the journalism or the bias and everything else. Um, okay, now, I, I also want to mention that people really, really liked the fact that we took the time to play the stories that were being analyzed. Mm. It was, and I think that was a really important point in what we were doing. And also it was a risk in terms of, you know, um, do we want to play these whole stories because... But we, the whole but story, we, it's we, lo- we makes to. it longer. We, but, yes. but we had to play it because up until this point, everybody had just complained about NPR, mm-hmm. or thrown out this idea that NPR should be defunded, but nobody actually took the time to say, listen, in detail, this is the problem. This is what's wrong with it. This is how we can fix it. Here's some of the questions they could have asked. Here's some of the ways that they could have conceptualized the story. Here's some of the mistakes they made. But it, the, the only way you could do that is if you played the whole story. Yeah. 
I totally agree. And it, people always, you know, they'll be like, oh, NPR so biased. They said blah, and it'll be like one sentence. Right. That's, one sentence is not enough. Totally. To make a, a true critique, a, a, a critique that has any weight. Correct. And so, so having the whole stories play and going minute by minute, I think was extremely good. And, and people appreciated that. Yeah. And, and so that was really good. Um, now, there's two considerations that folks have made, that folks have offered. At least I, it makes me consider things. One of them uh, that a lot of people have said is they've, they have um, proposed that NPR has always been this way. And we are just That's realizing completely it. Completely false. And NPL, NPR fell to the woke monster com- commensurate with the incursion of wokeism, the m- kind of mimetic incursion, if you will, of wokeism into the culture. Well, I, th- I think that's true when you're talking about woke culture. I don't necessarily think that's true when you're talking about, about a left-leaning bias. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's yeah. Been a, certainly a left-leaning and bias. And I think the people who no say wokeism. that, my guess is most of the people who say that, are thinking in their mind. It's always been left-leaning. Um, but it hasn't always been woke. But it hasn't been woke, and that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about more uh, that ideology itself. Correct. I, complete, I completely agree, although I, I have told people who said that that I would consider it, and I still am considering, because I do wonder if right now, based on the, the new things that I've recognized as I have had to you know, reframe things because of because of wokeism or be, because of illiberalism. I've had to reframe the way I look at everything. If I go back and listen to stories that I used to think were fine on NPR, would I look at them differently now? And yeah, I, that, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's one of the ideas that we had is actually playing an old yeah. NPR. I'd love to see, for example, the kind of stories they ran in the 80s about Ronald Reagan. Mm. I think in hindsight to go back and look. And compare that to stories they ran about Jimmy Carter, for example. Yeah, that that would be a great uh, if we were going to do a second season of the show, which yeah. we're not. Which we're not. We're moving on to other targets, <laughs> um, other institutions that have been ideologically compromised. If we were going to do that, that would be a wonderful second season, and then we could do commentary mm-hmm. on those. But we're not. You know, who do knows? This. Maybe we will end up doing it at some point. At some point. But- Funding, you can a, give us funding to do that and we can I think do that'd that. That'd be valuable in and of itself because it's going to make people think back to themselves about views that, they, that they've held previously Correct. and wonder how they adopted them um, and things like that, which could be really useful as far as changing people's habits and the way they think going forward. Yeah, it can help them reflect yeah. on their beliefs for sure. Yeah, but, but I, I do believe that the, the change is a fundamental change in the way that NPR approaches news in the for instance i think it's it's a fundamental thing when a news organization decides that f- that free speech is not a good thing right that's a fundamental change and that's it's not just yeah or um you know that s- decides that we should not listen to a lot of people because their opinion is unacceptable mm-hmm. so so i have i have uh I have a question for Matt and for you. What did you learn from doing the show and from listening to all that NPR? That's a good question. I'll let Gina go first on that. Oh, I was going to let Matt go first. What did I learn? Um, Well, I I, I learned that um, it was worse than even I thought, and I knew it was bad. 
but I knew it was bad, which is why I, I really wanted to do something like this. But going through piece by piece, I, I started, I would recognize every single time listening to it, listening through, like, for instance, one of the things that we didn't bring up is, which really is such a key thing is the kind of words that the re- reporters use. For instance, with Rachel Levine, when Rachel Levine said something, the reporter would say, Rachel Levine explains that all doctors agree with her saying explains like using little like the more you go through you like you don't say explains you say Rachel Levine says right not I mean as a just journalism 101 yeah unless you're talking to somebody who's showing you how to bake a pie you know Um, but but in, in, in issues like this. I, 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 so that's one thing. I just I, I realized even more granul, granularly how awful NPR is in, mm-hmm. at journalism. Matt, what did you what did you learn? You know, I agree completely with that. I didn't listen to NPR. I listened to NPR in the nineties. I I stopped listening to it as a source of news over the last twenty years, and uh, and had to revisit it for this show. And. Uh, the first thing I realized is how bad it is. I knew it was bad. I knew it wasn't a place to go get my news from, which is why I didn't listen to it previously, but I didn't realize how bad. And in conjunction with that, and I think it's a, it's almost the same criticism, but it's a little different. It's not just that it's ideologically captured and really, you know, like the teen Vogue mm-hmm. vibe of woke vibe. It's more than that. It, the, it was dumb. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it was, the content was kind of stupid. And if you... The things they chose to cover, the way they covered them, how an example of like exactly what you're talking about, that kind of journalism, it's almost like it's written for a child. And yeah. so, you know, um, that wasn't something I expected. I expected that we would find something that would be pretty far left and we would be able to cut it down and deal with it in terms of topics and show that basically a big percentage of it was misinformation. But I didn't expect to be listening to things that were so stupid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's so true. When I started working uh, for NPR affiliates, uh, the first one, I I was like, wow, I'm going to finally work with smart people. Okay. And I mean, I did realize pretty quickly, even before I decided that NPR was horrible, that actually, there's just there's just not smart people. Yeah. That's, and they're not trying yeah. to they're yeah. not trying to. um Re- elevate the level of the journalism. They're not, they don't have high standards. They, in, in fact, they, they have low standards and they have bad motives. Yeah. And there's something you could probably speak to this better, Peter, but there's something incredibly condescending about the mm-hmm. entire woke ideology yeah. in a way that's even hard for me to put a, put a finger on. It's just so condescending that I think that there's a, and I think this is a good thing. Because it's so so far that direction, I think there's a percentage of the population they'd never possibly be able to reach, like me, because I'm I'm immediately turned off by it. But the entire, if you break it down, the entire thing, the studies department, all of that, just seems deeply condescending. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll um I'll chime in. I I, I actually disagree with both of you, and that <laughs> I knew how bad it was. Um, so that. I, I didn't learn that at all. In fact, one of the testimonials said, play the game about how many times, oh, yeah. how long you can go before they talk about it. I, I was doing that game. I was thinking, oh, race, you know, 30 seconds or, oh, you know, whatever kind of craziness, gender, what have you. 
But the thing that I learned, here's what I learned from doing this and from listening to a lot of hours. One, like we, we've spoke about on the show, they don't have somebody who actually believes some kind of non-leftist position. They ask a leftist what people on the other side believe. Right. That was a really interesting to me. And if they do have someone on the other side, they don't really... It's... It's, I was thinking about this this morning. It's, they don't ask targeted Socratic questions when they keep pressing and pressing and pressing. Like they don't ask sequences of difficult questions. They'll give kind of softball one-off questions, but they don't really push. Uh, the other thing is I learned to the, the degree to which the shows and the journalism is not driven by data. It's not mm. driven by data. It's not driven by evidence. And they don't make inferences from data points and analyze evidence. It's not, it's, it's narrative and ideology. It's the zeitgeist, right? It's, it's narrative and... In a cartoonish way. Yeah, in, in a way that no, a serious thinker or, or a person who has some intellectual gravitas or is really concerned about ideas and, and wants to figure out what's true, they just can't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, it's like a it's like a pretense. It, I don't know. It's like wearing a fake fur coat. You know, like oh look at me, I'm in a fur coat. Oh, that person's in a fur coat. You know, they must be elegant. But it, there's something about the pretense of I don't know erudition or uh, 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 intellectual integrity or seriousness that it just doesn't have. It's a, a snobby way to present childish material. That's a yeah. great way to put it. That's a terrific way to put it. Yeah, it's a snobby way to p- present childish material. And there really is, as one of the, the testimonials said, as Matt uh, said, it's, a, it's like a teen vogue kind of a thing. And the pr- problem, the other thing I've been thinking about is it's so far down the rabbit hole at this point. I honestly do not know. Like if they hired me as a consultant to say, how do we fix this? I mean, you'd have to fire literally That's everybody. Right. You'd have to fire most everybody. That's it. You'd have to start with the board of trustees. You'd have to fire the CEO. You'd have to fire all the reporters. You'd have to get an entirely new staff. P- people who are... So assuming that can't be the case, how could they fix this? Well, one way they could fix it is they could have a certain percentage of shows that are right-leaning. Right-leaning, mm-hmm. non-woke shows. The or other, even centrist. How about just centrist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, centrist. That's fine. That that or centrist, or you know, not right wing, not left wing, but no wings. Like or, or yeah. But but even more than that, not that it doesn't have a political orientation so much, but that it has a skeptical orientation. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would suggest it, it so they would never do that again. They're ideologically captured, so they never do any of this. The other thing is to have a kind of meta-reflection like we've been doing on the shows themselves so that people can then listen to the shows as a kind of corrective to say, okay, you know, we should have put this in, we didn't put this in, this was the bias here, we want to talk about this. To, to have an accuracy and integrity to the system 
as kind of a fail-safe. But they're not going to do that because they're ideologically captured. Mm -hmm. So given the fact that they're ideologically captured, the only thing you could do is fire everybody, and they're not going to do that <laughs> because they're ideologically captured. So I don't see how they can fix themselves. But yeah. But it's it's similar. Let me just say it's very similar to the fact that um, that one of my colleagues at at Portland State said, "Oh, every time I hear Portland State mentioned, it's always by the right wing media, and it's always a negative." And and my comment to him in this meeting was, "Well, there's a reason for that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that doesn't just come like manna from heaven. The the, the, the reason for that is because you have consciously." It deliberately gone out of your way to methodically call and and extirpate any all any divergent beliefs whatsoever. So when Bruce Gilley wants to have his uh, class about conservative political thought, they tell him there's not enough diversity. You can't have the class. All you would need to do is to have one conservative program, one you know somebody here, and then you say, look. Next time you're criticized, look, this is not true. We have Bogosian doing his right. thing. We have Gilly. I mean, I'm not even conservative, but we have this guy doing his thing and this. So if NPR had something like that in where they can point to and say, listen, this is just not true. It's not ideologically captured. We have this show, this show, this show. I, I think that would go a long way to restoring public trust. It wouldn't be enough, but it would go a long way to restoring that trust. Reminds me let, of me just, let me just say real quick that that would be what you're talking about. That would be the job of the public radio station because NPR can remain being the voice of the illiberal left. But, but, but you know, they can do that. The stuff that's airing on stations across the country, public radio stations, it, when it becomes all NPR, then we get all illiberal left. Mm hmm if they have to make the choice, public radio stations, every single one of them has the choice and has to make it to diversify the, uh, the, the kind of programming that they're playing and not just play NPR. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, Matt. Sorry. No, no, I agree with that. I, that would be their brand. I just think that that's probably impossible because yeah. – People who now con consistently listen to NPR and who wouldn't agree with anything we said on the show and think that the, that's fine, they would put up such a battle if you had even one conservative show or you put the other point of view on there and then they're going to be talking about Nazis and everything. It's gotten so hysterical on the other side. And you have in, in particular in that particular ideology, the woke left, they're not even capable of listening yeah. to the other opinions. And so it makes it almost unfixable. And what I'm concern with now is NPR didn't just turn this way two weeks ago or a month ago. It's been this way for a while. And the only people who may be able to stomach consistently listening to NPR are people who they themselves have walled themselves off from 100%. hearing any of those criticisms. And so they're in a state where they can't actually learn, which is terrible for them. And it's not good for society. But I just think that's the way 100%. for various reasons our media has played out. Yeah. And the tr to me, the trajectory of everything you just said is listenership continuously declines. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody's listening to this who is from NPR, I guess the point is, at what point are you going to say this has reached a, 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 the number of listeners cannot drop anymore? So we're going to try to do something about that. But I don't think you're capable of doing that. And I don't think you're capable of doing that because your mind has been overwritten by, it's been parasitized. 
So I don't, I don't think even thinking that is possible for you. So the only consequence is for the, the inevitable trajectory is that the listenership will continue to, to, to go down to, to unsustainable numbers. And then instead of saying, geez, we should course correct, you blame it on something exogenous, the patriarchy, Nazis, racism, fascism, something that has anything to do but to take an honest look at the quality of journalism you're producing and ask yourself, why is it that people don't trust us anymore? Why is it that people aren't listening? And the reason is because you're producing products that are not worthy of trust. You've betrayed the public's trust. And the consequence is fewer and fewer listeners and people who donate. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, the public radio stations have to play a big part in this because public radio stations, like people don't donate to NPR. People donate to public radio stations and public radio stations pay money to NPR. It's just like public Correct. radio stations get grants through the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and use that money to pay NPR to play its horrible programming. Um, you know, the the show that I worked on at the last NPR station where I worked, the show was called Watching America. I love was, that show, by the way. A lot of people love that show. But I can tell you right now, working on that show was an extraordinary, extraordinarily stressful for me because it was a show that did not follow the did not follow the ideology. It was a show that was open to diverse, diverse views Um and we would get, you know, the thing about it is that listeners, the people who are still listening to NPR, they are people who want to hear that, right? Who are who, those, the people who are still listening to N, uh, NPR stations, affiliate stations. Um, they, they are expecting not to hear a different opinion. And so they're shocked. And I could, I mean, that could be a whole separate show i could do about that and i maybe will one day yeah but and you've you've told me things i don't want to break any confidences yeah. of people you've had on or haven't had on or people they freaked out when you wanted to have on you can mention those people if you want or episodes you've recorded but they gave the kibosh to i mean right. i think that's super interesting it, it is. is really it is interesting it is it, it's an interesting uh it's a very interesting situation when you realize what people are willing to censor without any good reason and but how they will make it uh seem reasonable yeah that but that's a people everyone should listen to watching america uh alan campbell that's right dr alan campbell he's the host he's he's the host that helped me to see some things because i had to work with him um and i used to argue with him about some of the the uh things he believed because i was myself a bit brainwashed Mm. And I had to look things up in order to argue with them. Mm. Things up that I had just assumed were correct. Mm. But at any rate, that's another story. Let's look at another question. Um, this is a, just what, the second of two uh, considerations from listeners. Is there any new source that we can trust? And how do we know we can trust it? Heard that one a lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I think that the my answer to that question is no. Uh, I think that there's, in terms of it being binary trust or not not trust, I think there are degrees of trust. I, I think that that would have been a much easier question to answer 20 years ago, but there's just so much misinformation, disinformation, poor reporting, uninformed reporters that I, I think 
a way to get reasonable information, and and notice I didn't use the word true, <laughs> uh, is to try to diversify your news sources. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is the only way, Peter. You get an A plus on that answer. Oh, I like my answer. Uh, and yeah. and I, I think that there, there are certain, for example, podcasts that I listen to every week that I trust. My, my fav- favorite is the Michael Shermer show. I don't know if you listen to that. Mm-hmm. You do? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I, I never miss an episode of that. And so I like things that have a skeptical bent or I like things that, uh, and in, in general, British media tends to do this, ask series or sequences of difficult questions to kind of probing questions, targeted questions. Mm -hmm. So I, I, so the answer to the question is no, there's no, there's no one news source that, that one should trust uh, unequivocally. Yes. I, I saw that question quite a bit. I saw that question come up in the comments. I had a couple people tag me personally and ask me that question. And I'm always a bit, hesitant to answer that question because I don't just want to put a a news source that I happen to trust and pass that along to people. I think the best answer is the one that Peter just gave a minute ago about, about that. But I do think that leads into something that I did want to talk about uh, if we have a chance. And I think it's a very similar topic. And that's this idea of misinformation and disinformation and censorship. And one of the things I mentioned on the show that I think is very important is that I don't want to see anyone censored. And I am absolutely sure that the people we have to worry about aren't radicals in their garage posting on some podcast and we have to, to censor them. When I'm concerned about censorship and I'm concerned about misinformation and disinformation, I'm worried primarily about the government. Correct. Mm. And in addition to the government, I'm worried about the major mainstream news sources that people trust. And so just to give a, a quick example, I thought personally that it was quite obvious in the lead up to the second Iraq war that there was no weapons of mass destruction. Mm. There was no solid evidence for that. And everywhere I looked, whether it was Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or the New York Times, everybody in unison was kind of lockstep marching with this this concept. And that made me very wary. And we saw the same thing happen recently with the Hunter Biden laptop. Now, mm. Misinformation, disinformation. Totally it was that. so obvious. If and here's the point: had anybody taken a few minutes to actually look at the contents that were put out by the New York Post and other places, it was pretty clear that was exactly his laptop. So anytime everybody starts to get together in union and come up with this narrative in the media, I get very concerned. And anytime somebody starts talking about censorship, I get very concerned. So I have three basic rules for that, and this goes to my to the point of the news source. Number one, check the data yourself. So for example, with the police shootings, we talked about that when they've done polling, people who identify as progressive or left-leaning think that the police in America shoot anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 unarmed black Americans a year. Yeah, my neighbor thought it was 22,500. 22,500, which is insane. And if I (laughs) thought that were true, or if they thought that was true, I would think their response would have been even more radical than it was, because that's just a crazy number. And as we talked about, it's about 12 a year, which is pretty consistent. If you remove from the data those the, the suspects that are involved in trying to kill the officer or take the officer's gun, usually up one or two cases a year. So here you have public perception of 1,000 to 10,000, reality, one or two. Those are 
drastically different things. We can blame NPR for that. They're a major yeah. offender. We can blame MSNBC for that. We can blame CNN for that, for sure. But that's not going to change. The reality is when people hear a story like that, they need to take some time and either read about that case individually, uh, read the details, or go to check the data itself. The FBI database, the Washington Post database, there's multiple databases that track, in this particular case, shootings. But regardless of the topic, number one, check the data. Number two, assume, especially assume that the media has the story wrong. Especially mm -hmm. if everybody in yeah. the media, if everybody in the media is shaking their head and saying the exact same thing, for me, that's the biggest alarm bell. And I think to myself, probably wrong. That's probably not it. And number three, and this is an easy one, unless you've checked the data yourself, unless you've looked into the story, and these days, the beautiful thing about it is the way information works, that's usually not hard to do. It's usually not hard to find out. But unless you've taken the time to look at that, don't have a strong opinion. <laughs> that's right. Just don't have an opinion on it. Be more humble about what it is that you think you know. Yeah. And Humility is so if a, important. If people followed those three rules, a lot of what we're talking about wouldn't be a problem. And I think the media would then have to step up its game because people would realize just how awful the media is. Our media in general, we talked about NPR on this show, but just in general overall is terrible. You know, the reporting, I think if any human being on this in this country knows a good top, a topic really well. So if you have a particular topic you're an expert in, whatever that topic is, you will realize what I'm saying is true because when the media has covered your topic, you will go, oh my God, that is unbelievable that they could get it that wrong. And, I, and so I think the only way for people to come to that conclusion is to kind of prove that to themselves. And the only way to prove that to themselves, do a little research, take a couple minutes, look at the data, hold off on your opinion until you do. And I know it sounds really cynical, but assume, especially if it's NPR, but really anywhere else, <laughs> they got the story wrong. Right. Just assume it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys uh, about about that particular question. You, you have to look at various uh, sources. You have to do your own research. And you have to remain open-minded. Uh, and you have to be also – you have to be just willing to say, I'm, I don't know. I You know, I, I, I'm not sure what the situation is on – this particular like this particular controversial topic you know th most people th this is the thing it's like it's it, it, it i think it's an error to assume that a whole bunch of people uh believe something for no reason it's like people disagree with you for a reason try to find out what that reason is try to understand what they know or what they think they know that yeah, you don't. And, yeah, and the only way you could know that is by asking them, mm -hmm. not by asking people who disagree with the idea what the other people think. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness to people, too, I realize that all of us have jobs and families and different things we have to do. And most people, most hardworking Americans don't have two or three hours a day where they can just do research and dig up yeah. a topic. Theoretically, that's supposed to be the job that the media that's does exactly for That's exactly right. That, that should be the job of the journalist. But they're not. And they don't. And so, 
you know, I would I would suspend at least strong opinion on any particular topic until you take some time and look into that topic. And I think if people just do that as an exercise, pick any subject you want that's being covered right now in the media, dig into the topic a little bit. If you can get to the data and the general information on just the facts of that topic and then watch the way the media covers it, whichever source yeah. you currently listen to, I think you will instantly become disillusioned and uh, we can solve some of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like in a way we shouldn't, it's like we're at, we're saying NPR, can you just please do better journalism? Or we could say the same to Fox news or MSNBC or CNN or uh, one American network or, you know, any one of them, we could say, please do better journalism. But really what we have to do is say to people, you have to be your own journalist. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, yeah. And, you know, the, the other piece about that, not to belabor the point, but I don't know any one of the reasons why I hesitate to answer that with just putting up a direct source. I don't know any news source that I trust on every topic where I go for my particular news really depends on the topic. So there's some some sources I don't trust at all for a particular topic, but I might trust for a different topic. So that that complicates the problem, and that's part of that part of that is because all of these organizations are have some sort of political bias or slant one way or the other. Yeah, I I do think it's it's unfair of us, like you said, people are just trying to make it through their day. They're trying to work. They're trying to you know feed their kids, pay their rent. So I do think it's a little unfair to place that burden. But my my comment to the stations would be have people on who fundamentally disagree with your narratives and ask them hard questions. Have have people on who are thoughtful, smart, sincere. Hopefully, you know, they have published, they have some expertise and sit them down and it doesn't have to be with someone of the opposing view and and don't frame it as a debate conversations are much better and just really kind of plumb their epistemology. Why do they believe this? What, what do they know? Something I don't know, whatever. And then only ask sincere questions, questions that you would want to know the answer to, because if you want to know, it's, it's a good chance that people listening would want to know. But the key to this whole thing is you, you could get around a lot of these problems by having people on the other side, asking them what they believe, why they believe, and most importantly, what it would take to change their mind. Like, what would that look like? Would it be data? Would it be evidence? What would that evidence look like? And then ask them simple questions like, well, let's talk about experts on the other side. I, I realize that, that nobody's doing this, uh, but, but think of your viewers and your listeners Imagine them to be more intelligent than right. you think that they are, because people really do want to know. That's why they listen. That's why they're tuning into you. Um, that, that would be such an important, that's what I was talking about when it comes to the condescending part. That would be showing some respect for your listeners, and it would be so much more interesting. I think the kind of thing you just articulated would be really interesting to watch. I'm always interested in, in intelligent people who hold opinions different from mine and wanting to hear why they believe what they believe. And I didn't see, or I should say here, I didn't hear any of that from anyone. No. I, not once when we were no, talking about they the transgender had Bruce issue. On, but they didn't have him on for... They, it was the, the wrong line of thinking, right. questioning. So the, the but the problem. Well, they, no, they 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 have they have they'll have someone on, but just to just to give the veneer a veneer yeah. of 
Oh, yeah, we listen to both sides. But it's a veneer. You know, Peter, what you're talking about is, is, a, is like a, a philosopher's news channel, uh, an epistemological news channel. And I think that we should create that. Okay, I think that I'll I, I add think that, that to my to do list. Yeah, add that to the to do list. I like that it. because that's a whole. Th- this is the thing is that especially now, right now, mo- and journalists are are taught this in the university. The connection between the university and NPR is very strong. That's a whole other topic. But th- in the journalism departments, they are learning to be advocate journalists. Right. That's what they're learning. That's the basics. That's not like a specialty. Advocacy journalism. You you can't have that kind of uh, of inquiry of open inquiry of uh, analyzing epistemolo- epistemology uh, of considering other points of views. That, if that you're if you that, see your job look, as a journalist to be an advocate, that that shouldn't have to be a philosopher's show. You know, okay, take away the take out the word epistemology. Why do people think that? a border wall is a good idea. Well, find people who think the border wall is a good idea and you ask them and then you right. ask them further questions like, you know, how much is it going to cost? What I mean, th- this is not particularly complicated. In fact, it- it's incredibly simple, but it's, a- it's not advocating for anything, Peter. And yeah, that's not, the problem. Well, no, it's it not is. Advocating it is for it's, any it's, political party. It is. It's advocating to, it's advocating to understand. It's advocating yeah. to figure out what's true. Why don't you think they're doing that? Because I think that they are very deliberatively uh, pushing a narrative. They're very Mm -hmm. conspicuously, they've decided that they know certain moral propositions that are true and they want to advocate for those. That's the point, I think. They they are so sure that they're right that it's their job to protect the public from the opposing point of view. So I think if I had to guess, you'd have people, if you were to to suggest that topic on a given issue, like, for example, the border wall, you'd have people say, well, we don't want to promote racism and racist people, and that's a racist opinion, and so they're trying to protect people from it. It's incredibly condescending, but I feel like that's a huge part of that, and I don't know if that's fixable. Somebody thinks they're wrong on a particular idea. If you or I think we're wrong about something, it's easy for us to change our mind, but if, if we start attaching morality to it yeah. and think that we're a better person because we believe, believe right. something and that person's a, a bad person. Right. That's why, for example, in churches, they don't bring in atheists right. and Muslims and Buddhists to talk about the flaws of the religion. No, the, the point of the church is to advocate for a position to get you to believe in the same way that the, the point of NPR is to advocate a position and to change the moral mind. Exactly. And so the question is, how do you convince people who have the truth that they need to talk about other opinions in a way that gives those opinions the possibility of being true. And and the people who listen to that can say, oh, wow, like that's interesting. Now that's why people believe it. Uh, Okay. I disagree with that, but now I understand why, but there's no possibility of that because the people at NPR are completely convinced they possess the truth in the same way that there's no possibility that you would do that in a church because those people are completely convinced that they possess the truth. Yeah. And I think the antidote is the same, you know, the poison that we see in our society and growing where you have these two divides that can't talk to each other. The antidote is really what you just talked about. 
It's having a story on there where people can hear the other point of view from intelligent people and actually understand why they believe that instead of, oh, that person believes that because they hate people or they're right. racist. They and, actually have and, a reason for it. Right. And the interesting thing about that is this is not complicated, but you have to want to do it. Yeah, let me ask you this. Let's say, let's say that we did create um, a, 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 a news source. Let's say we just created a little news source. Uh, where we took that attitude, where the, the thing we're advocating for is uh, is understanding and exploring what, no one, uh, no one what's would, going on. Well, who? I, how many clicks are we going to get? Okay, so so I think you'd have a small but fanatical following. I also think it would be overwhelmed by the people who really thrust forward certain narratives, the Rachel Maddow's, the Matt Walsh's, you know, by the people both on the right and on the left, uh, and even kind of the, the libertarian voices too. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It, I mean, it's a complicated question because it would have to be packaged, right? Marketed, promoted, advertised. But I'm really, the real question is, do people actually want unbiased news? The, the, well, pe well, pe what people want, they want two things. So they want to reinforce the fact that the beliefs that they have are true and they want a community. So th this is the big, the big, uh, hopefully the, I don't know if bombshell, but this is one of the things I've learned in my, my life of studying and, and researching and reading and publishing is that the only thing people want more than to be right is to belong so people yes. want a, people want a community and they want a community of people who think like them and believe like them for acceptance etc et and you know that's one of the reasons we see the emergence of the word community i i i think it's it's ubiquitous i think it's used far too much but i think Tribe. if you created a news source that really took a look at why people believe what they believed in an honest and sincere way and had smart advocates on, I think you, you would find a listenership. I don't know uh, how many people would listen, you know, it depends on production values and, and there are a lot of variables, but yeah, the alternative to that is the bifurcated system that we have now where people are pushing not only specific political beliefs, but broad ideological uh, stances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know that we're going to be able to put any kind of stopper or, or prevent the great sorting that we see going on where everybody moves their own side. But I do think that there's a bigger market for that than a lot of people might believe. And I think yeah. one of the reasons that that wouldn't be an even larger market is that a lot of people currently believe that the news source that they're going to, which happens to espouse the political ideology that they adhere to, is giving them the objective news. They want right. to believe that's where the objective news is coming from. And they think that that's what NPR or MSNBC or Fox News or whoever's doing it. I think the antidote to that is to have shows like we had, where you take any particular given story, dig into the evidence and the data a little bit, give people the plain facts about that particular story, and then compare it to how that particular news source covered that story. And I think, how many times would somebody have to hear that happen before they start, start to distrust, for example, NPR? Six stories, yeah. seven stories, 10 stories, yeah. how and many that, does it take? That was our problem with this show is 
there's no point for someone who's a conservative to watch this show, right? We, I, I was very explicit when we did this. We need to get people on the left, people who listen to NPR. That's the target market for this show. So if you know someone out there who listens to NPR, you need to send them the show. Not yes. your conservative buddies or your libertarian buddies. You need to send this show, the links to this show, to your friends who listen to NPR and say, "Listen, watch this, and let's have a let's have a conversation about it." And did you, besides the kazoo, did you think that these guys said anything <laughs> that was unreasonable? It was their mistake in their analysis. Were they unfair? Uh, and then really approach it from a, a conversation that way. But it, but again, the point is to to. And we, we the, the the point is to get people who listen to NPR to listen to the show or to watch the show. Yeah, and I think folks who don't listen to, N- to NPR, who did see it anyway, um, I, I, the most vocal po- folks that we heard from were people who were NPR listeners. Some who still listen, but listen in a different way. Yeah. Now, but but you should watch. Fox News or any other news source in the same way, in the mm-hmm. same manner. hundred percent. As we looked at NPR, every, any news source. hundred percent. So, every news so source. I think that that's, that's the thing is that what was also shared besides just how bad these stories are is how you ought to look at a story. And I'm, the abs- I'm absolutely convinced we could pick, you name it, uh, any news source and we could do the exact same thing. And we thought about that too. We thought about going after a conservative news source, but again, the difference there is they're screaming from the rooftop that right. they're conservatives. Right. We would have to yeah. find a conservative news source that said that they were not conservatives. The right. New York Times. I'm sure we can do this with the New York Times. Oh, yeah. Oh, but then, yes. but then, then people would say, well, you're picking on another left-wing organization. Why don't you pick on a right-wing organization? I mean, but but you know what? I mean, yeah. part of it, the reason, part of the reason I care about what's going on with the left is that that's where I've been for most of my for well, that's, all of my life. Th- that's what Helen keeps talking about. Helen keeps talking about wanting to fix the left, but the left doesn't want to fix the left. The left doesn't want any criticism at all, and yeah. so that's why you see people moving out of the left. Well, I shouldn't say moving out of the left. I think the abortion thing really was in the whole Trump thing. So it's complicated. They're moving many- away from the people. The left is moving away from the people, not not them moving out. Yeah, that's correct. That's that's yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, those were that's all of the stuff that I had regarding the feedback that we received about all things reconsidered. Um, I did want to let people. This is this conversation will be on YouTube. It will also be on our podcast. Um, and I wanted to just help folks what's going on next with us. Uh, we, we, first of all, we received a lot of requests to share shorter versions of the show. And so over the next weeks, we're going to be releasing, um, just the individual conversations that were had. So like story by story so that people could easily share that with people that they want to, to, uh, introduce to the show. The show is an hour long, but the conversations are, you know, anywhere from like 12 minutes to to maybe 20 minutes at max. Uh, and, and it's easier for folks to share that, that level. We'll be releasing those. Um, so you can share it with your friends. And I think that that'll be a good thing. We're also going to keep the podcast. Now, the podcast that we have where we just put the audio up of, of the show is called All Things Reconsidered with Peter Bogosian. It's on all kinds of podcast apps. Um, 
But even though this particular project is finished, we're going to keep the name of that podcast. We're going to keep calling it All Things Reconsidered with Peter Bogosian because we're going to consider a whole bunch of stuff, right, Peter? We have a, a really interesting vision for 2023 for what we're going to consider, reconsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know if we want to say so right now. No, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold on to it Okay, to, so we've, to the first of the year. There's a lot to be reconsidered. Uh, in the world. So we're going to keep reconsidering things, keep the name. We're going to take the NPR thing off of it. And it just so happens that the first five major episodes that we have is about NPR. Um, so that's what's going on. And gosh, this, I, I, I gotta say this project was a lot of work, Yeah, but I think it was really worthwhile and, and I feel really good about it. And I, and I love the comments still coming in and, we will listen to your comments coming in until the cows come home. Yeah, we love to I just hear what got, people thought. I just, just this morning, I had a number of emails about the show. Uh, so I wanted to thank you, Matt, oh, for, yeah. thanks for, for everything. Me. And I appreciate that. And thanks, Gina, for p- producing it. We appreciate that. And Travis is filming over here. Thanks, Travis. And, Leaders. And the rest of the team, lots the, of people. Yeah, a lot of people worked on this. Gav worked on I mean, Dom, I mean, just tons of people worked mm-hmm. on the show. So we, we thank you. And, you know, we're supported by you, the viewers. So we appreciate, uh, you know, any, any level of comfort of financial giving. You're a 501c3 National Progress Alliance tax deductible. Uh, and if you don't have any money, that's fine, too. You know, just send the show around and try to educate Share people it. about being skeptical about what they hear, particularly on NPR, but on, on the media as a whole. So we really appreciate your support and try to nudge the society into being more sane, more kind and more rational. And I should say that you can find out more at peterbogosian.com, also bogosian.substack.com and nationalprogressalliance.org. And Matt's book, The Gift of Violence, should be out yes. uh, by the time you see this or for pretty cl- when's your book coming out? Very close, yeah, a few months. Yeah, and we're going to have a, a series uh, of, of videos that we've done with Matt about specific things, about topics, about violence. And uh, th- those are quite genuinely, they're genuinely interesting. Uh, and P- Matt speaks very bluntly, very forthrightly, and very candidly in plain language about what the data and what the evidence is and what you need to do to protect yourself and uh, they're very, we did them at Travis's studio. So I'm looking forward to those coming out as well. And yes, we that'll have, that'll be in the new year. We have the videos, the, the, uh, spectrum street epistemology videos from when I was in Hungary and Romania. So those will be coming out and then I'll be traveling around the world this year, Puerto Rico and Australia and all over the world. And we'll be getting Poland, uh, and we'll be making new videos. So looking forward to that. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Gina. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Peter. Yep. Thanks, Gina. Thanks to the viewers and the listeners. Appreciate it. All right. See everybody later. Bye. (laughs) 